Thank you, Rocky. Yeah, that is a timely word. I mean, believe it or not, this is a sermon on the Holy Spirit. I think he's already arrived. I think he's well and truly here. I think there's a lot that God's already doing here amongst us. And as I thought about this time together this morning, and the more I got into this topic, the more I just found myself on my face and on my knees and just saying, Lord, how does one even begin to talk about who you are as the Holy Spirit? And, and so I, let's just be together right now in prayer. Let's ask him to fill not only this place, but each of our hearts and us as a congregation with the word that he purposes to bring forth this morning. Amen? Let's do that. Jesus, thank you that we are privileged to be called your children, if indeed we do know you that way as Lord and as Savior. It is not something that we did, but you have done for us. And Lord, as, as I talk now about who you are in your spirit and what you've done, would you give me your words? Lord, would you open up each heart here this morning to receive what you have prepared for each of us to know and to do? We thank you, Lord for your church, which you began 2,000 years ago almost by the outpouring of your mighty spirit. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for what that means in our lives. Thank you for what that means in this world. Let us be your faithful servants now and always. In your name, amen. amen. Those of you who've been with us for the last couple of weeks know that we're actually starting, we're in the middle of, of a series called Because He Lives. It's taking that point after Jesus rose from the dead, what happened? What did he do? As he returned to his father, what did he want his followers to do? In the last couple of weeks, Pastor Toby spoke to us about the fact that he has made his disciples his witnesses. They were just testifying to what they had already seen and experienced by following their Lord for three years. But he not only made them his witnesses, he actually gave them a message. And Pastor Toby elaborated on what that was last week, because you're not a good witness unless you have a good message. And we're not a faithful witness unless we're faithfully delivering that message. And now this week we come upon Acts 2, because this series is tied to Acts chapters 1 through 6. And so now we're in Acts 2, and we're focusing on what God does to the faithful body of believers who are praying together. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts 2. We're looking at the first 13 verses. Don't worry, the uh, NIV translation will appear up on the screen. Acts 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? 
Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. This is an amazing and dramatic picture. Some of us have been walking with the Lord for a while, can almost overlook what's actually happening here. In chapter one, we read that the apostles and the disciples are in a room, they're in an upper room and they are praying and Mary, the mother of Jesus is praying with them. And now it says in chapter two, they were all together in one place. We don't know if it was the same place, but they are all together. And at that moment, it happened to be the day of Pentecost. Pentecost in the Jewish calendar was 50 days after Passover. And they're praying as they had been doing and without warning and without anything to let them know that this day was gonna be any special than any others. They were just being faithful. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. It said it sounded like the blast of a rushing wind. The word actually is, means blast. It's, it sounds like a rushing wind, but it wasn't a rushing wind. It was this blast that they just heard, that they experienced, and not only them, but people in the surrounding area. God-fearing Jews heard this, and they start moving towards where the disciples were gathered. And then tongues of fire come upon them, something like tongues of fire and it rests on each one of them. And then the text says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happens when they're filled with the Holy Spirit? What, are, they, are they just sort of relishing that? No, it goes immediately to what the Spirit empowers them to do. To speak in a tongue that every Jew, every God-fearing Jew that was in the air, regardless of where they were from, could actually hear the wonders of God. The gospel, if you will, could hear them in their own language. So the Spirit comes upon them, and he comes upon them with power, and with force, and with purpose, and with effect. And so when you talk about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you're talking about those very things. And it is the Spirit of God who is upon them. There's real rich and deep symbolism that's going on here that makes us know that the Holy Spirit is part of God. He is the God, he is one of the members of the triune God. The fact of the rushing wind, that's the life-giving spirit, the spirit that breathes life. A Jew who heard that would have had his mind go back to Ezekiel 37, where the, the spirit is breathing life into the dry bones. The spirit brings life in this context. That those tongues of fire were symbolic of God's actual presence. The temple had uh, candles and light always lit to symbolize the presence of God. And when Moses encountered the Lord for the first time, it was in a burning bush. It was fire. So these symbols were not lost on the hearers at that time. They knew that the life-giving spirit was there. They knew that they were in the presence of God. And they knew that God was causing them to act, to declare his wonders. And so they faithfully do that. And it's on Pentecost. This was actually a Jewish feast. Pentecost is a Greek word that means 50 because it's 50 days from the Passover, but it actually was known as the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of First Fruits. It was this idea that the harvest wasn't fully in, but we were taking the first of the crops that were produced and we were offering them to God. And those of you who know your word know that Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of our resurrection. The Holy Spirit was saying, I am forming a community that is about to go into the world and tell them what it means to be able to live with Christ for eternity. I'm breathing life into this community so that they can take the life of God and bring it into the world. That's what's going on in Pentecost. That's what's going on with all this drama. 
And so they speak this. There's a miraculous hearing where everybody can hear the wonders of God and they're coming together, but yet there's already opposition, isn't there? There's a few scoffers out there just going, oh, these guys are just drunk. We know that wasn't true. And Peter has to stand up. He's in power. We didn't read that text, but if you go on after verse 13, Peter stands up and he says, men of Israel, these men are not drunk as you suppose. No, it says, Joel said that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all people and they will prophesy and the young men will see, vi see visions and the old men will dream dreams. In these last days, you hear that phrase, in these last days. And usually when we say, oh man, we're in the last days. Oh man, I can't wait to be done with the last days. And what we mean by that is there's all kinds of challenge. There's more trouble. There's more issues. So there's more drama. And it's just the last days. I'm kind of tired of the last days. But that means absolutely right. Scripture says that in these last days, it'll get harder and harder because people become lovers of themselves and lovers of everything other than God. But the last days means that we're in that time between Christ's ascension to heaven and his coming again in glory. And we are in this 2000 plus year period. We don't know how long it will be before the Lord comes back, but we are in the last days. And he has left us here with a calling and he has left us here with great empowerment from his Holy Spirit. And that's what we're talking about today. So that's the scene that's there. That is Pentecost. That is the power that we begin to see. If you read, continue to read through that, that uh, chapter two, and Pastor Toby read some of the sections in his two uh, messages from these previous weeks, you know that when Peter spoke, people were cut to the quick. And they came to faith and they said, what must we do to be saved? And he said, repent and be baptized and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And it said in three, about 3,000 were added to their number. Do you see the power of God that suddenly is manifest? They go from a room of a, a place of about 120. That's not bad for church growth, going from 120 to 3,000. Some of you math majors can give me the percentage increase, but that's a lot. And they didn't do it. God did it. He just did it because they were faithful. They did what they were instructed to do. They did what they were empowered to do. That's what happened on Pentecost. Some see, say that this is the birth of the church. And that's true. We cannot be the church of God without his Holy Spirit. We cannot do the things he calls us to do without actively and consciously listening to his spirit and moving forward where the spirit leads us. You cannot have one, a church, without the spirit. So this is the age, this is of the church. These are the last days in which we are to operate. These are the, we should be seeing the kind of power that we see in this second chapter. Maybe not 3,000 people, but we should be seeing more and more people in your circle, folks at your work, neighbors, members of your family, bit by bit, coming to faith. Now I wonder, is that really our experience? Do, do we see that level of the Spirit's outpouring to bring people into his kingdom? Now, if you're honest, I'll be honest, no. I don't see that level of the Spirit's outworking. And I begin to ask the question, why is that? Lord, is there something in me? Is there something that I'm doing or not doing? That's a good question for each of us to ask. Is there something that we need to be doing more of as a church in order to see that level of God's or anything near that level of God's bringing people into his kingdom? So I ask that question, why is it 
that, Lord, I don't experience as much power as I believe you want me to experience. Let me just make an editorial comment. What we're seeing in Acts 2 is a once in a lifetime, in one level, never to be repeated experience. This was God birthing the church through an amazing outpouring of his Holy Spirit. That's great. That's why it's in Acts. That's why it's a, we call it the, the birthday, the birth of the church. But it's also to be a pattern for how we as the church need to operate. That pattern is that we are being prayerful and we're being before the Lord. And when his spirit moves in us, we move out and we are sharing our faith. So why is it, Lord, that I don't see as much power? Is it just that, that I've got this opposition? And you know that it's always wise to look to yourself first. Look at what's going on in your life. Sure, there's opposition. Sure, there's times where it can be really hard and the enemy just seems to be in kind of a strength mode and you have to persevere through prayer. But I'm asking myself, what's going on in my life? I'm asking, am I a faithful witness? Am I a reliable witness? Peter said, we are just witnesses to what we've seen and heard. One of the best ways to share your faith, share the hope of Christ in you, is just be a witness, a testify to what Christ has done in your life. Testify not only to what you know the word says, but just testify to how he has worked in your life. Now here's the challenge. We're not always the reliable witnesses we need to be, that God's designed us to be. You know, if you watch some of these law dramas on TV, usually there's somebody gets up on the stand and somebody says, oh, they're an unreliable witness. Their testimony is not reliable. Why? Because they're talking about something that didn't happen. Or they're saying something that, ha that happened that they didn't actually see or experience. Is that true of us sometimes? Are we sometimes unreliable witnesses to what God has done? Do we sometimes talk to our colleagues about the love of God and then go home and are harsh with our kids? Do we say that, we, that the Lord owns the, the cattle on a thousand hills and yet we're stingy with our money and our giving and when we see somebody in need, we just close our hand? Do we talk about how we have the joy and the peace of the Lord but when some little issue comes upon us, we worry about it, we agitate, we just, just chew on it like a dog with a bone? We are unreliable witnesses when we do those things. And honestly, that's why it makes witnessing to your family members, the people that know you the best, the hardest thing to do. Because they say, oh man, don't tell me about the love of God because you just teed up on so-and-so over here. Oh yeah. Don't tell me about how generous God is and you can't even loan me 20 bucks for it. You know, it's, it's, it gets to that place. And we have to be his reliable witnesses to testify to what we have seen and heard, to testify to what we've experienced. Now, there's another reason I think that we don't necessarily experience the level of power that God has purposed for us in our lives or in, I think this is true of any church. And, some, and that's because, you know, are we really praying as much as God would have us pray? And the answer to that is, uh, I'm greatly encouraged by what we're doing more and more, but I see this pattern in Acts. I see, we talked about in Acts 1, that they're all in an upper room and they're praying, and then God pours out his spirit upon this body of believers. I read in, in Acts 4 that they're, <clears throat> Peter and John raise a man who's, who's lame and they're brought before the Sanhedrin and they're scolded and then they're told, don't ever do this again. And then they go and they pray and they say, Lord, you know, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? They're like, what are these guys thinking about? These guys are really gonna come against you? 
You gotta be kidding me. That's basically a modern translation of what they're praying. But they say, give us the courage. This is real opposition, but give us the courage. And if you know that text in chapter four, you know it says, and the place that they were praying, the room that they were praying in was shaken. Prayer that shakes a room is prayer that's motivated by the Holy Spirit. Prayer that is breaking down barriers is prayers that have the Holy Spirit suffused in it, moving through you. And after they prayed that, they went out and shared their faith some more. And they met steeper and stiffer opposition. And then they were beaten, but they continued to pray. And later on in the text, in, verse, in chapter 5, it says, and God added to their number more and more people. There's, there just seems to be a connection between prayer and the power of God. In chapter 13 of Acts, the church in Antioch, they are worshiping and they are fasting. This is a form of prayer. And in the middle of that, the Holy Spirit comes to them and he says, set aside for me Saul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Saul, because I have a mission for them. I'm gonna send them around to the Mediterranean to share the gospel with the Gentiles. That's become the first missionary journey. The body of Christ in prayer, the leading of the Holy Spirit in power. Body of Christ in prayer, leading of the Holy Spirit in power. These things have to go together. You cannot have one without the other. It gets local. Acts 16, Paul and Silas are they cast out a demon out of a girl who was foretelling the future. They're beaten for it. They're in jail. And if you know that text, you know what are they doing at midnight? They are praying. And then what does God do? He causes an earthquake and, and all the prisoners' shackles are loosened. And the Philippian jailer is about to kill himself because his job was to keep everybody in there on, under pain of his own death. And Paul says, don't harm yourself. We are all here. This is a power encounter of the Lord that goes on. Prayer in jail at midnight, powerful release and conversion of the Philippian jailer and his family. Prayer and fasting, setting aside a prayer for missions, and on and on it goes. The power of God is connected to the prayer of his people. Now I wanna make a caution here that it's not formulaic. The spirit will blow where he blows. And is his timing, he will work. So don't just say, we're just gonna pray and then we're gonna look at our watch and we're gonna expect the Holy Spirit to be here in maybe a day, maybe two at the most. That's not how he works. But we are humble and we are faithful before him. And so what does that mean? When the posture of prayer is just to come before him and say, Lord, here I am, send me. Lord, here we are as abundant life, send us. What are you doing in our lives? Why have you made us uniquely for this time in this place? Why have you put us in the middle of this thing called Silicon Valley with all its kind of craziness, with all its pretenses, with all its arrogance, with all its sort of promise and all those things, with all the wealth, right, juxtaposed to, to people in apartments, 10 to a three-bedroom apartment. All that's going on in this city right here. Lord, why have you placed us here? We, we gotta be before him and and just ask that question. And when he moves us, how he moves us, we need to follow. It's interesting that when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, they were declaring the wonders of God. They were not sending out a bulletin that said, hey, we had a rockin' good worship time. It just blew our minds. We'll be back here next week, same time, same, bring some friends, space is limited. No, this wasn't this inward kind of thing. They moved out. Uh, let me tell you, I am greatly encouraged by just seeing the movement of the Spirit in our own church. 
I have seen leaders get together just a few weeks ago, elders and pastors were meeting right here for a Saturday morning just to be before the Lord in prayer, just to seek his heart, just to seek his will, just to be humble before him. And as I have conversations with people in this church, it's more than once people have come up to me and said, I don't know, but I'm just more and more in prayer. God is doing something here. He is stirring up hearts. He is stirring up this body to be prepared for a, a, a greater outpouring of his spirit. That's just going on. And I don't call that out in any kind of boastful or bragful way. I don't want everybody to start wearing spiritual Fitbits where you say, okay, I prayed for 10 more minutes and that's good because I got a quota of 40 to get to. I just want people to realize that the spirit is moving, that he is preparing us. And I just call that out because Anyone, if you want to be in a church that's moving, you got to be in a church that's praying. And you got to know that your leaders are praying, and your small group leaders are praying, and your ministry leaders are praying, and your youth leaders are praying. If you don't see that or you don't hear that, you got to start asking God, What do you want me to do, Lord? Or where do you want me to go? Because if a church isn't careful, the glory can flee. Ichabod, the glory has fled. There's times where the Lord's Spirit just cleared out because people weren't before him. So I am greatly encouraged that as we are before him, I see more and more things happening. I see people coming to Christ at service. I see people sharing their faith. I see people bringing folks to the bridge. I see more and more folks doing outreach to the homeless. Man, God is stirring up this body of believers. What I want him to do is step on the gas. I'm like, Lord, pour out your spirit. Start with me. What do you want me to do? As Vicki and I, we often pray. Where'd you go? There you are. Vicki and I often pray, like, Lord, set us on fire, whatever that means. That's what I'm praying for. And, and if you can use us in whatever way that is, fantastic. But that's my prayer. I don't know what that looks like. If you don't see us on fire in a few days, let us know, because that would be a problem. That is what we're asking God to do. But I, that's my prayer for us, Lord, more and more, show us your way in that area. More and more, make us that church, Lord, that you've designed us to be. Not making stuff up. We're asking God to show us how he wants us to be. So the power of the Spirit is preceded by the prayer of his people. I came across this just to kind of drive this home Finally, a couple years ago, as the, some of you have heard about uh, Transform the Bay with Christ. It is an effort of churches around this area, nine counties in the Bay Area, and some schools of theology and business leaders to get together and say, what can we do to advance the kingdom? How can we encourage one another, uh, resource one another to do those things that show this world what the kingdom of God is really about, show this world what his love is about. And as the pastors, uh, a bunch of leaders were together, one pastor brought a devotion, and it was about a, a fellow, uh, it was a, a historian and evangelist, a man named J. Edwin Orr, and he talked about the spiritual state of this country back in the late 18th century, right after the revolution. And Orr said this, he said, not many people realize this, but in the wake of the American Revolution, there was a moral slump. Drunkenness became epidemic. Out of a population of 5,300,000 people were confirmed alcoholics. One historian estimates that in the 1770s, the average adult male was consuming as much as three pints of whiskey weekly, in addition to ale, wine, and rum. And the, for the first time in the history of America, women were afraid to go out at night, and bank robberies were a daily occurrence. 
What about the churches at that time? Well, the Methodists that had grown substantially in the 18th century were, were at this time losing more members than they were gaining. And then a congregational church in Massachusetts, one church in 16 years had not added a single member. An Episcopal bishop in New York actually quit because he hadn't confirmed anybody in so long that he decided that he was out of work. Thomas Paine at that time said, Christianity will be forgotten in 30 years. It's 200 years ago. A poll taken at Harvard at that time had discovered not one believer in the whole student body. And another poll at Princeton, which was more evangelical at the time, they discovered that they only had two believers in the student body and only five people that did not belong to the filthy speech movement of that day. Students rioted against Christians, forced the resignation of the Christian president at Harvard, took a Bible out of the local church in New Jersey and burnt it in a public bonfire. Christians were so few on campus in the 1790s at Princeton that they met in secret like a communist cell and they kept the minutes of their meeting in a code. In New England, however, here comes the spirit. In New England, however, there's a man named Isaac Bacchus, a Baptist pastor who in 1794 mailed a letter that was an urgent plea for prayer for revival to pastors of every Christian denomination in the US. Most pastors ignored this. But there was a Presbyterian minister in Kentucky named James McGreedy, whose chief claim to fame was that he was so ugly that he attracted attention. He was the pastor of a tiny church. He promoted the idea of a concert of prayer every first Monday of the month. No one came. Then five people came. Then 10 people came. Then a roomful came. And then in the summer of 1800, as what we became known as the first great awakening, 11,000 people came to one of his prayer services. And that started a revival in this country out of which came the whole modern missionary movement, out of which came the abolition of slavery, out of which came popular education, Bible societies, Sunday schools, and a variety of other social benefits. All of American society was affected because people prayed. Amen. There just is a relationship between the prayer of the people and the power of the Spirit. Man, if you take nothing else from our time together today, it is that we, you as a person, you as a family leader, you as a business person, be on your knees. We as Abundant Life, let us be on our knees. That is just, you know, that's, that's what Pentecost, I think, means for us. But it doesn't stop there, does it? So the Holy Spirit launches his church with the outpouring of his spirit, but it says he filled every believer can you imagine how mind-blowing that was for the people that were actually there? These are Jews who knew that you could only be in that you could not be in the presence of God. Only one guy could be in his presence and only that once a year and he had to be a high priest, ritually pure and clean. And he would go in there to be in the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifices for the people. It said that when he went in, the, whoever was chosen to be high priest that year would have a rope tied around his foot in case he misused the vessels in there or somehow offended God and was struck down, how would they get him out? So they would literally pull him out because nobody else was going to go in after him, right? So they're very practical minded, even while they're being very holy. Once a year, one man could go and represent the people. And now you're telling me that the presence of God is not only in that room, but his Holy Spirit is filling everybody. That's what you're saying? Yes, that's what, so the Jews of this day, no wonder they're coming forward. No wonder they're saying, what is going on? I'm hearing the wonders of God and the wonder of God is that he can be in my life. He can be in my heart. Yes, that's what Pentecost means. 
And so what are we gonna do with that? If the Holy Spirit fills you, and by the way, if you know Christ, if you've given your life to him, the Holy Spirit fills you. Be baptized, said Peter, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's certain theologies that say you can be baptized and then the Holy Spirit can come later. No, when you come to Christ, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. For Paul, those are synonymous. When you are a person who are in Christ, you are a person who knows him and will have the eternal life. So to have the Holy Spirit in you is a mark that you belong to Jesus himself. And so the Holy Spirit comes upon them. He provides power in the light. When he's inside of us, he provides power to, to, to express our giftings on the outside. There's power to live out that calling, that destiny that he's ordained for each one of us. Here we see Peter preaching, and later on each of the 12 apostles would go and share the word throughout the world. When, when Paul describes the work of the Spirit, he says everyone in this room, all of us who are descendants of that upper room experience, if you will, all of us have something to offer the body of Christ. All of us have something to offer the world, the body of Christ. He talks about in three separate sections, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. These are gifts of the Spirit. They are given to us so that we use them for the benefit of others. Everybody has one. That's not debatable. The question is, are you using it? If, you, if the Holy Spirit is in you, he is there to empower you to use that, not because it's drudgery, because he's mean or because he likes suffering. No, he wants you to use it to bless other people and to glorify him. Some of you have a gift to hospitality and there is some, but I can't tell you the number of conversations, meaningful spiritual conversations that I have in that lobby around coffee and I, I don't have the cookies, but around coffee and the cookies that are put out there. Why? Because somebody has a gift of hospitality. There's actually a hospitality team. And it may not look like a lot, and they get here early to do this, but God is using that for significant spiritual conversation and blessing. Some of you are, are well, not, not many here, because some of you are working in our youth and with our youth, and you have a heart for these young people. Most of the people I'm actually talking about aren't here today. They're actually working with our youth, using the heart that God has given them. But some of you, God is calling to that room up there in the next few weeks or few months. And it's not gonna be easy. It's not gonna be you know, something that you necessarily know how to do from the get-go, but you know that God has been stirring in your heart and that God is his Holy Spirit. And if he's calling you to do something, he will empower you to do it. So you don't have to worry about whether you're going to necessarily be relevant or you're going to be somebody that they like or you're going to you know, be too old-fashioned or any of that. What all of us need, and especially young people, is to know that they're loved, to know that there's a hope and a future for them, to know that God loves them, and to know that they're part of a safe community. That's just, I mean, the gospel is subsumed in that and everything else. But if we do that and we teach them in the way that they should go and in the end when they're old they will not depart from it, who here is being called to do that? If you're being called to whatever, this is just an example, but wherever you're being called, you will be equipped and you will be empowered. You won't feel adequate, great, that's the Holy Spirit. You'll feel like an earthen vessel, that's good, that's what you are. But it's the treasure inside that brings the glory. And, and so we're equipped to use the gifts that we have for the benefit of the body of believers. We're equipped to use the gospel and to share that. I talked about being a reliable witness, but we also have to equip ourselves. If somebody asked you, I got a minute, tell me what your hope in Christ is about, what would you say? 
That's a good question. What would you say? There's, there's a lot to be said for just kind of rehearsing that. Write some stuff down. What would you say? What, what hope would you give? What testimony would you give for the hope that is in you? This is what Paul says when he says to Timothy, be prepared in season and out of season. Are we prepared? I, if we prepare ourselves, do you think God will let that go to waste? Guarantee you he will not let it go to waste. Start to have, ask God for those opportunities to have conversations. I used to have more, here's a confession, I used to have more of those conversations than I've had in the last few years. Some of my most active times was when I was a younger guy, at college, at post-college. I was just like, Lord, show me who you want me to talk to. And then I got, you know, work got busy and I became more respectable. I don't know what it was, but I just somehow that started to cool a little bit. But I've asked for God, part of set me on fire, Lord, help me to have those conversations. The other day I got to have one with a guy who does some of my banking. I go into the bank, it's one of those branches that is always asking, how are you doing? Uh, you know, how is your weekend? How's your life story? I'm like, I just want to make a deposit, buddy. Just, but they're asking this. This is good customer service. So I thought, well, turnabout is fair play. Tell me about what did you do in Easter? And he said, well, um, I, don't, I, I don't have a Christian faith. He said, I went to kindergarten through second grade at a Christian school. But that's not the faith of my family. And honestly, I don't know where I am on this. And I know I need to think about it. Then he took my deposit and he put it in the bank. But I, it was a start, and I know I will see him again, God willing, to do the deposit in two weeks' time. And by God's grace, we'll have another chapter in that brief little conversation. But I am praying for that. And some of you have those opportunities. Some of you have those opportunities at work. Some of you will have those opportunities on a plane ride. Some of you will have those opportunities in your neighborhood. Here's something. Pray for us. So... This next Sunday, I think, we've, we're having a shredding party in our neighborhood because it's post-tax time and everybody, who doesn't have a bunch of stuff that they probably need to just shred? So we got together with some neighbors and we said, let's have a shredding party. And so we're, we're having a shredder truck come to our block and we've invited the neighbors and we got some food and stuff and uh, we have a, we're paired up with another set of neighbors and they're gonna provide all the refreshments. We're providing the truck and I hope and I'm praying, and I'm asking you to pray with us that this is an opportunity to build some connections, build some relationships over kind of a common need. We'll see what happens. I'll give you a report back when, when we get back. But just some thinking, Lord, set us on fire. Help me share the faith, the hope in you. I don't, more and more, I don't want to get to the end of my life and have the Lord show me the missed opportunities. You remember when Paul was leaving, I think, the Ephesians, and he's praying and he's kneeling on the beach, and he said, I have no one's blood on my hands. In other words, I have faithfully discharged every duty, every responsibility that you've given me, Lord. That's a pretty sobering thought. I don't even know, I don't want to go there too far. All that, all that to say, Lord, when you assign me a task, when you give me an opportunity, give me the boldness to take advantage of that. Let your spirit who indwells me, empower me to do that. Help me, Lord, to do that. So the Lord's spirit will empower us to... to to reach out to those around us. He, he empowers us on the inside. When you have the spirit of God in you, you know what he's doing? He's making you more and more like him. He's making you more and more Christ-like in temperament. The fruit of the spirit, that's Christ's temperament. To be transformed more and more into his likeness, that's becoming Christ-like. That's what he's about. And he's so interested in doing that. As he does that, then our witness improves. Then people say, wow, you remind me of Jesus. Not like oh, really, please, you say that you belong to Christ? I don't think so. 
Sometimes our witness has been like that in places, and we don't want it to be like that. But Christ's Spirit in us will keep us in that straight path. It'll keep us from sin. Galatians says, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How do I make sure that I still belong to God, that I'm walking well, that I'm keeping in step with the Spirit? I just live by Him. My body, this body, as old as it's getting, older as it's getting, as grayer as it's getting, is still a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you think of your body like that? Do you think of that sacredness that goes with that term, that preciousness, or do you misuse it? Do you just say, well, it really doesn't matter. Well, it's, it's you know, the world. The world has a completely different, ungodly view of what our bodies are about. We're just at the top of the animal food chain. We use them any way we want. It doesn't matter if you start to lose functionality. You can just check out or people will help you check out. All this is not from God. God says your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And I want to treat my body well. My body needs a little renovation. So does some of yours. But that's okay. We want to treat our bodies well. We want to treat our minds well. Paul says you have the mind of Christ. When you don't know what to do, if you go to the Holy Spirit and you say, Lord, give me your mind on things. Lord, help me to understand what you're thinking. Paul says in Romans 8, 5, and 6, to those who live according to the flesh, their minds are set on what the flesh desires, and the mind that's set on the flesh is death. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And the mind governed by the Spirit is life and is peace. Who could use a little more life and peace in their life? Yeah, okay. I got, we got some super saints in here not raising their hand. No. Um, but we, you know, we could all use some life and some peace. Jesus says, my spirit is in you to provide that. That's the work of the spirit. Let, because the spirit empowers us, what do we need to do to bring ourselves into a, a place of peace? Making sure that our mind is there. Sometimes, you, let me just say, say that you just got to ask him. When you're agitated, when you're worried, when you're bothered, what do you do? Do you just sort of try to think through it, power through it, pick up a self-help book, call a friend who's not really helpful? It's good to call a friend. It's good to pick up a book now and again. But the first move has to be just turn to Christ. For you go to him in prayer. Remember when Hezekiah is threatened with national annihilation, which meant his own personal death in 2 Kings 19. He is facing a taunting edict from the king of Assyria. And it said he took that message from the king and he brought it to the temple of the Lord. And he lays it out in front of him and he starts praying. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know the bad news that some of you heard this week. I don't know the challenges that just went from bad to worse. I know that the natural result of that is to become more fearful, more agitated, more concerned, more inward, but let me just ask you to take a leaf from 2 Kings 19 and take whatever that is and go into your prayer closet or wherever you pray and lay that out before the Lord. Some of you are doing that already. Keep laying it out. Keep saying, Lord, I need you to intervene here. Lord, I need your help in this situation. Lord, I need you to make a way where I don't see a way. If you're not experiencing the power of the Lord to the way that you would like outwardly in your relationships or inwardly in the way that he's protecting you and the way he's giving you his mind and the way he's giving you peace, is it because the Lord has stopped leading or is it because we've stopped listening? 
Because the Lord is always leading. His spirit is always guiding. He is gathering us to himself. He is moving us forward into this world. He is helping us navigate challenges and tricky issues. And he is bringing his power so that his gospel prevails. He has never stopped leading you. Have we stopped listening to how he's leading? Have we let things just sort of distance grow between us? Have we said to him, Lord, um, I just, I'm not following you. There's so many reasons why this can happen. Let me tell you just a couple and we'll close with this as to why I see this happening. One sometimes is that we just get distracted by the world. Sometimes we stop listening to what God is doing because we're enticed and distracted by other things. We're like children, right? If you got young kids or you had young kids, you got nieces or nephews, it's like they come up and they say, auntie, and then the next thing you know, they're going over here and they're getting some food and then they want to ride in the truck and they, whoa. We're just like that with, as kids sometimes, like, Lord, and then we go over here and we get stuck into this activity, and then we run over there and we do something here. It's like, oh, just, you know, sometimes I, can't you feel the Lord like you as a parent just sort of grabbing the kid and saying, focus, focus, let, 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 let's. Sometimes we just need to know that so that we don't get distracted. I don't want our lives to be like Demas. Demas was a disciple. He was one of the disciples of Jesus. He's part of the ministry team of Paul. And it says, in one letter, Demas sends you greetings, but the last letter that Paul writes, it says, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted us and gone to Thessalonica. Folks, there are, we have to be faithful throughout this life so that we prove our election, make our hope and calling sure. And I don't ever want to be like Demas. I don't want the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, the boasting of what a person has and does to distract me from the calling that God has. But it can. So let, if that's where you are, if you're distracted, if you're pulled, if your focus and your heart is on things like wealth or reputation or promotion or any of those things or comfort, say, Lord, lead me. Please lead me. Help me to get out of that. Start with just that forgiveness. Know that he'll use that as a testimony and he'll help you as you're walking out, he's gonna put a couple other people in your hand and you can help lead them out. So that's one reason. Sometimes you just get distracted by the world. But more often than not, I find that we don't, we stop following the Holy Spirit's leading because we just feel we're inadequate. Because we just look at that mound of stuff that we've done. We look at the, 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 the album of shame all the things that we did wrong, all the stuff that we're not doing right today, and we just conclude, Lord, I just, I'm pleading your mercy. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. See you in heaven, hopefully. That's nowhere near the spirit-empowered life that he has. That's not why he made you. That's not what he's calling you to do. Don't let the past dictate your future or your present. Give that all to the Lord. Say, Lord, every day I die to myself. Every day I claim your cross. Every day, the power of your resurrection, I am putting over all the things that I've done. You gotta say that. And you gotta say, Lord, empower me by your spirit. Help me to go forward faithfully to where you're calling, how you're leading me. Lord, you have not stopped leading in my life. Help me to start listening more to what you're saying to me. Listen to, Lord, let me listen to you when you speak truth into my life, when you speak affirmation. Some of you are people that cannot stand to hear affirmation. Somebody says, man, you did a great job, and you just go, oh, no, I did a terrible job. If you only knew. No, receive that affirmation. If God brings somebody alongside of you and they are blessing you, receive it. 
It's not random. It's not an accident. Receive it. When God says you're fearfully and wonderfully made because sometimes that woundedness and that injury goes deep and it goes to places from a long time ago. When he says you're fearfully and wonderfully made, when he says you can't go anywhere and I won't still be with you, receive that, hear that, know that he is there and listen to what he's saying. He is saying that to you so that you are empowered so that you can follow his Holy Spirit to the high calling, so that you can say as Paul did, I have fought the fight, I've run the race, I've finished the course, I've passed the test. More and more as I go, I want my life to be that. More and more as I think about this, there's only one day that I'm really focused on, the day I stand before the Lord, and I wanna be able to say that I've done everything. And in the context of what we're talking about today, I can only do that if I'm following his Holy Spirit, who is always leading. The question is, am I listening? That's a question for every one of us. Are we listening? So let's just take a step back. Let's take a big Holy Spirit breath. Let's breathe in his spirit, metaphorically speaking, and say, Lord, your spirit has come down on this church to equip us with power. Your spirit has filled me. This is your meaning. This is what you want me to do. Lord, I'm gonna be humbly before you. I'm gonna ask you to lead. I'm gonna make a commitment to listen to you. And in the days ahead, I wanna be able to have a testimony to say, this day was so significant in what you're doing in my life. If we would agree to that, there's no telling what God would do in this church, in your lives, in your family, in your workplace. Amen and hallelujah, amen.